I wanted to look at uh, the definition that, that you come, when, if you look at the definition of leadership, it's not necessarily the definition the Bible has for leadership, right? So the definition of leadership in the world is, is, a, is just a bit different. So I wanted to start with the definition as the world sees leadership and servanthood. Uh, because sometimes, uh, since we live in the world, our views can be influenced by that. So it's, it's good to know how the world sees it so you can pull that part out when it contrasts with what the Bible says. At least it helps me. So leadership, the definition is a cop-out because leadership is the action of leading. That's kind of lame. So, so I went to leader. A leader is uh, one in charge, a person who convinces other people to follow. And in contrast, a servant would be one who performs the duties um, in the home of a master or a personal employer. So they very much opposite views of, this, of an idea. Somebody didn't like that. Wow. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's probably uh, Tim up there dancing. Um, okay. So, like I said, um, leadership has been studied for centuries, and there's a couple guys you might have heard of, um, and I actually had these backwards. I realized this morning that I had them in order backwards, but I'll still, so I'll start with the oldest, Sun Tzu. Anybody heard of Sun Tzu? Okay. Good. I'm in the right category of people. I like that. Um, he believed in leading by example, not by fear, but he also believed in manipulating people to get what he wanted. So it's getting is close, and then it shifts a little dark. Plato, if you've heard of Plato, not Plato, I said that wrong, it's Plato, Plato, the philosopher, he believed in leading others by showing kindness and humility. Like, that's, that sounds pretty good. But he's a philosopher, you know, those little wimpy dudes. And I've got a third one. Uh, anybody heard of Machiavelli? He's not so nice guy, right? His view was, uh, for a leader or ruler, it was better to be feared than to be greatly loved. Of the three, Machiavelli is the youngest. And if, if I throw out a, 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 a slight personal opinion, uh, look at politics in general right now, and it's not too far off, in my view, from him at the moment. And that's across the world. Okay, so we know that, that leadership is important in a group. So what happens if, as far as the sports teams and, and organizations, so what happens if a church doesn't have good leadership? It doesn't have focus. Yeah, there's no direction. It can stall, stagnate. The members cease to grow. Um, and oftentimes... Churches like that will just diminish. And There's no unity. 
There's that as well, right. Yeah, there's no, yeah, because there, there's no purpose, so you, you don't have something to unite behind or towards. But it also turns into a church that they try to uh, help the people, or not help the people, but, well, the people want to see this, whether it's biblical or not, doesn't matter. This is just mm. for the people to get more people into the church, yeah. and we're making more money when more people come into the church. And we'll talk about a little bit of that, yeah. Okay, forget I said that. No, 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 it's great. That's great. I'll just, I'll just roll right with it. Thank you for that segue. Um, so a lot of churches have uh, started to focus in on uh, training leadership to their members because they realize that it's important. And uh, in some ways, I guess they, there's a, a lacking in training new leaders or training current leaders how to be better leaders. So there's a lot of leadership programs um, specifically for churches that are out there. And one of the more popular ones has resulted in the megachurch movement. And this is some, some information I, di I didn't realize. So a megachurch is considered a megachurch if they have several thousand in attendance each week. And then there's something called a gigachurch. I had never heard of that term. It says anywhere from ten to 50,000. That is just unbelievable. Hey, Todd. Yes, sir. We have uh, two little girls that live with us with their mother for a while. And the one girl looked at me and said, I'd like to sing in here better, but the nachos at my grandmother's <laughs> church are much better than the red. I mean, nachos at the church. Yeah. It's, the focus is a bit, a bit different. There's also churches that <clears throat> have a name, and yet only one preacher and all the other churches, which have numerous people there, they just watch the screen because the preacher's not there. He's not there. No, live it's, church wasn't. Yeah, it's, it's a live church. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! So there's like satellite churches yeah. Yeah. and only yeah. one preacher. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. They actually meet. They actually meet physically, but they yeah. and they actually have a staff at each one of the churches. Yeah. But as for their, uh, as for their. Which you might say a pulpit minister. Yeah. Um, There's only one. They, they typically, and it's it's not like that every. They they always have that every Sunday. I always I know this because I had a conversation with a guy not too long ago about this. Um, they uh, they have a they have a they have a, a centralized pastor or minister yeah. who who does all the different um, churches in a region or sometimes larger than that. And then they also have they have a pretty big staff. Um, I had a meeting with some live church here in Memphis City and. I think I lost count of like eleven pastors that they wow. had. Uh, they were minute. They all called themselves pastors. They were all ministers. They were all staff. But and then and they will rotate through things that they do on Sunday mornings also. But but yeah, it's a. I didn't look to see if Life Church would be considered a mega or a giga. Uh, yeah, I guess it would depend. It would depend on. I was about to ask that. It would depend on how you how you. Um, I think it's one of the top five in the country. Yeah, it, it depends on how you how they classify that if. If they mean physically, like on hand, uh, but then you, you do you get into that weird sense because they aren't all in one place. So it's like you have, you know, if you have all the, if you count, you each add one all of, of the satellites as yeah. one is considered part of one. I would imagine that's how it would. You've got lots of teleministries yeah. out there now, and even, yeah. even with our congregation, we're starting to do Facebook and different transmissions for people that you know uh, aren't physically here either. So. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of that going to come out of there, but I don't think any of it's going to 
change the fact that you need to have an area to come together and, and worship in person. I agree. Well, we, we are uh, uh, we are different in that one of the big deals is, see, we're autonomous. You know, the elders here don't make decisions for Dell City or Choctaw or whatever. You get into those kind of big deals is there yeah. is this hierarchy of leadership. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, yes, they do. They claim large numbers, but it's based on, it's like Oklahoma City is over how big of a metro area. Yeah. It's kind of one of those deals. The next thing you know is, you know, so, um, but, but we are... We remind ourselves at times or whatnot when we are asked questions by certain people, why do we not do this? Because they do over and we have to remind them that we're autonomous. We're yeah. not. We are led by the elders here, not by another group. Right. Um, that's why when you drive down the street sometimes you'll see <clears throat> maybe this, maybe this group, whatever they're doing, and they've got their banner out for their VBS or their whatever, whatnot. If you'll notice, you go down the next one. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same. It's because that's all passed down from the hierarchy as to here's what we're doing this year. Here's what we're doing this year. And you, in a lot of those, you can go from place to place, and the same topics being taught each place and all. So this is cultural and historic as well. I had a book in my library at one time that was a hardback book, and it was the Bible classes for the Churches of Christ. 1947. Uh, we all use similar materials during that era, and yet the uh, local eldership has always been God's pattern that we see from New Testament times. Although Paul <coughs> did say for Timothy and Titus to appoint elders in every city, but then most cities had only one congregation, but they met separately at house to house. Uh, even though they were all part of the same church, but they didn't necessarily meet together. Focusing on TV stuff uh, means we're focusing on the assembly on Sunday and the word as shared. That's scriptural, but uh, if that is our only definition of a local church, we miss so much of what the local church did in the first, second, third centuries. Yeah. I visited a church one time, Church of Christ, that used... Uh, they did all their own, they're a very tiny church, only like two, three men. And uh, they did the opening prayer, they did the communion and everything, and then they turned on the TV and Phil Sanders, they used a Phil Sanders lesson. Hmm. From a brother out of Choctaw who uh, it preaches on most <laughs> Sunday mornings in over 100 churches, but it's... Uh, TV dot. Yeah, the Mazalongo. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he for small churches that have no. Uh, he provides God's word, but it's over a TV. It's yeah. pre-recorded. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that the that mega church. It makes more sense to have fifty thousand people if you're spreading out over multiple locations. That makes a lot more sense. Um, it's interesting about the the leadership style that started the mega church movement was influenced by a man named Peter Drucker. Yeah, I didn't know who he was either. They all went to Southwest Bible College at the same time. <laughs> at one time, all of the mega churches were being led by men that he trained there at Southwest, uh, uh, Southwest Bible Baptist Bible College. Well, I think it's interesting. There's a, uh, there was a church, in, a mega church in Illinois that has in their office a... a framed 
picture, I guess, of, of these three questions that Drucker would uh, talk about. And it is, what is our business? Who is our customer? And what does our customer value? That seems a bit, as far as what we think about, that's, that's a bit uh, askew, for lack of a better Sounds term. really good for Target. Yeah, yeah, for a business, if you're looking for numbers, right. if you're trying to get people in, yeah, right now especially. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I wasn't going there with that, but that's a good point. But yeah, it's a good point. Oh, they should have studied Drucker. Ah, there's a problem. I have seen bad leadership in the Church of Christ, though. Sure. We had a new uh, minister, and he was a great preacher, doing all this stuff, and suddenly his preaching went down. And I asked him, what happened to you? You used to talk about this, you used to talk about that, but the elders asked me not to talk about that. And he had four kids, so he needed the money. So he did what the elders asked him to do. Mm. And that's, he was a great preacher, but then his lessons went, eh. That is unfortunate. Yeah. But it was scriptural for him to be led by the eldership where he worshiped. Yeah. True. Uh, but, but they showed possibly lack of wisdom in what they asked him to do. Yeah. It is appropriate for elders to ask preachers to preach about something or not preach about something, but it should be always based on Jesus' leadership and what the New Testament church is teaching. Yeah. His preaching was uh, valid too, that's just it, but they didn't like where he was going with it. Hmm. That could go into different. Yeah. Who knows exactly? Way, it was an interesting church. church. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, the I didn't say that. The preacher is the leader of a mega church. He has that mindset and that training. <clears throat> he leads that that's church, true. not the eldership of the local church. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty common across the board. I think we're unique in that, in that stance, having local <coughs> elders over the local congregation. That goes back to what you originally said, charismatic. Mm -hmm. uh, his ability to influence people is what makes him uh, head over a large group in a local setting. Right. Or even a TV setting, even more so. Yeah. We got caught up in that during the discipling movement with the Boston movement. Uh, they uh, wound up exerting influence over local congregations. Hmm. Part of what happened in their decline was they left the local leadership concept, and uh, Kip McCain and some of his people became the leaders of that whole movement. It still exists, but it's not not what it was. I mean, I, when you bring up Peter Drucker as a leader, I mean, yeah, studied well, um, but <laughs> marketing we discuss him a little bit, and ah. I, I'm not going to say he's not completely. I mean, I would blow it off. It's, it's a need to know because if, if it's what some of our classes this year are. Who are we trying to bring in? What do we know about them? doesn't necessarily say we're going to try to go how they are. No, but if you know what focus they are, then you're going to try to figure out how do you relate to them to help bring them in. So I, I would not throw out his studies. as. Well, I can, I can see. I, I'm just saying. I don't know where you're going exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more. Yeah, yeah. we're bringing it down. Time, it's it's more of a what's your what the intent was what's what's the overall goal if your overall goal is numbers then then you're looking at it wrong I mean you can use okay okay you're getting, the, you're getting into dangerous waters whatever you're if you're if your focus at any point is 
is numbers. Um, you're, you're, you've lost the focus as to where we're going. Yeah. Um, I only have the account. It, it's, <laughs> it's, do a, I have the account in the room, bro. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying. I look yeah. at numbers on everything. He's a, you can't help but yeah. count things. It's, I mean, it's a, there, it's, it's always good. I mean, I think, I think it's a valuable thing to look at whenever you see a church that is thriving, to, to look at why. But if your, um, if your focus is okay, how can we get people here? Um, many years ago, and very quickly, I did a, a, a class that was that covered some of that concept, and I found something I thought was very interesting. It was during Christmas, and it was a church. Um, I have no idea where they were, who they were affiliated with, but they, they had a church that uh, on the first Sunday in December, uh, they were doing something every Sunday going up to Christmas. On the first Sunday, you got a Christmas ornament, and then they had a big banner that said, come back every Sunday, and you get the whole collection. Um, and it was, so if you come back every Sunday in December, you get this whole Christmas ornament collection. That's not focused on anything other than just getting people in the door. See, I've disagreed and, with many people about that constantly. If you can't get them in the door, how do you have that conversation with them? And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, mean, I think I agree. Should they be having that conversation? You don't know if they were or were not. You don't know what that led to for them. True, but you're you're also but looking at it from a you're you're also looking at it from um you're you're getting them in the door as opposed to we're supposed to be going out and. and Serving the the community and actually finding people out there, as opposed to I have to get them in here. Okay, so um, you're saying that we shouldn't be putting something on our sign out front trying to draw people no, in. No, 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 no. That's not. That's exactly what you're saying with that statement. <laughs> you they put something out and said, "Come in." We put something out no, that no, says, no, no, "Come no. in this week." No, no, no. There, it's not a matter of that we shouldn't try to want people to come in the door. It's a matter of both. your focus is getting people in the door. You can't have both. Your All focus right. needs to be to get to people. Go ahead, Todd. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Trying to have a class here. What's wrong with you? No, I don't. I don't mind conversation. That's that's good. But uh, Jesus never this fight's had a, a door or a sign, but he did have hundreds who followed him all day long, every day for three years, calling disciples. Uh, he brought people together and was charismatic in the sense of his service was so miraculous that nobody could deny he was God in the flesh. But he brought, brought people together, and part of his purpose was that after those three years, 12 of those men would uh, uh, preach the gospel in every nation of the, on the face of the earth for that 60 years. So uh, it, it is a work of people who mm -hmm. influence others. Jesus yeah. lived in a time when the tip concept of a leader was someone who won a war uh, mm. uh, during the Roman Empire. Uh, Jesus never participated in a physical war, and yet he every day was involved in a spiritual war. Right. Well, and that's kind of where we're going with this whole class is aiming towards what Jesus did. So, thinking about the eldership as far as, um, when I think about elder, uh, leadership in the church, I think about the eldership, obviously. And we mentioned um, Timothy. We've got Titus. There's, I'll just read this real quick. I'm, I'm sure everybody's heard this. But uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 6, says, If anyone is above approach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, 
For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, and then Timothy is, is very similar in that. Uh, it, just, it just adds, must not be a recent convert, um, or he may be, uh, become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. And so that's, the, that's what I think of as far as leadership within the church goes. We looked at what the world saw as leadership, and uh, and so my goal with this is so that was a list of good qualities. How do I how do I apply them to myself? I mean, I realize my goal not isn't necessarily to become an elder, but if if those are good qualities to have, then I should seek after them. Is the point? Um, Jesus did not fulfill the qualifications of an elder. He was not an elder. In fact, he would have been, been, been an upstart at age uh, 30. Uh, that, mm. uh, That's true. As soon as congregations began, Paul uh, had his team, Timothy and Titus and some others, and uh, they recognized that local congregations needed mature, proven mm-hmm. leaders in order to succeed and gave them miraculous powers to help them do that. Yeah. I used to preach about the <clears throat> why do you have to be, can you not be like an elder even though you don't qualify to be an elder? Because I don't qualify to be an elder. We never had the living children, basically. Mm. But if I read this, can I not live like an elder lives? Can I not help right. like an elder or deacon does? Right. Even though I don't qualify to be named. Right. An elder or a deacon. That's kind of, that's where I'm coming from. Is It's more of, yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle of how I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. People have to remember, there are some people that don't qualify to be called an elder or a deacon, but why can't we live Still our live that way, right. And help the church life. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. Other don't. Todd, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Um, so there's a lot of leaders throughout the Bible that we will... Uh, look at as we go through this this class. I think the if I if I can keep no, I'm joking. Um, I think it'll be more of the the third week that we'll we'll be going into some of that. Uh, but before we go into the details of uh, following down how these various leaders applied what they were taught, I wanted to see what they were taught. So um, the overarching, if you will, just look at it from a very macro scale. I think I used that word right. I don't know. Uh, uh, from a very high level, I guess. The, the New Testament, what is the emphasis of the New Testament or what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples? And in Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
So Jesus is telling them to repeat what they were taught in their own uh, training ministries to get disciples and train them as they were trained. And to see how that was done, we can look at 1 Timothy where Paul is telling Timothy, pursue righteousness and godly, a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Um, also in chapter 12 of Hebrews, we have strive for peace with everyone and for the, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And in Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 3, it says, do, not, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So out of all of those, these are how these people, the beginnings of how these people are applying what they've learned. And there's nothing directly about this is how you should train leaders to lead, specifically. It sounds much more like servanthood, right? I mean, we know that. It's fairly obvious. So the fundamental character of a Christian should be service-related, not seeking after leadership or position of power of any kind, really. And uh, Jesus teaches this, of course, right after James and John try to get to a position of power. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, just after James and John tried to get the right and left seat next to Jesus and he shuts them down from their power grab. He gets all the disciples together, and in verse 42, he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This book does use the label spiritual greatness as opposed to leader. Uh, this is not, uh, leader is not necessarily synonymous with great spiritual giant. Uh, uh, this, this is talking about greatness comes through servanthood. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and this is where the term servant leader comes from. If anyone's ever heard servant leader. Servant leader, when I first heard it, it's a strange word because it's like, two opposing words that are smashed together like freezer burn or crash landing. You know, it's these things that don't, they're opposites, but are smashed together. And sometimes they can be misapplied, unfortunately. <coughs> there's a, there's a uh, leadership program, church leadership program, that I think it's called, I think it's called Level 5 Leader. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, the level five leader, and it states that we should serve others so that they will then let us lead them. That doesn't quite sound right to me. There's something off. It sounds like the only reason I'm serving you is so that then I can get this position of power. <clears throat> and that, that's where that misapplication comes from, and we've got to watch that. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Matthew chapter 6 where it says, watch out. 
Don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. There's a lot of people that uh, worry about that phrase, I think. Um, If they do something in service to someone, and then someone tells someone else about what that person did, they're like, oh no, it's supposed to be a secret, right? Like, you don't have to worry about that. The point, the intent is in the heart, right? Is Is the reason you're doing it to get the accolades, or is the reason you're doing it to truly do what you're supposed to be doing? And if someone finds out, well, then they find out, and that's not a big deal. It's all about the intent and what's in your heart. Yeah, that's talking about, not talking about uh, goals. It's talking about being like Jesus. Right. Great Bible leaders, uh, uh, Abraham, he just trusted God. Moses was called the meekest man that ever lived. Uh, Joshua was, was the military leader that trained the second generation in the desert to go out and conquer the land. But Moses was a meek man. We'll talk, years to get there. we'll talk about Moses too because of how he changed from what he was originally to the meekest. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting journey. Moses specifically. Um, so, oh, where do we go? Um, Jesus teaches the lesson again as far as service over leader, over being this position of power, or even though you're in a position of power, to be the servant. Um, he teaches that lesson when he is uh, washing when you just got done washing their feet, the disciples' feet in John 13. Uh, let's see, let's start in verse 13. says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you also, you also ought, to, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And the disciples at that time especially didn't understand what that was meaning because it was still very countercultural. Um, because they still thought that Jesus was going to create an army and take, take the Romans out, kick them out, and get Jerusalem back. And that was not at all what was happening. But their understanding shifted after Jesus died and was resurrected. Because, and you can see the shift when, uh, let's see, right here in Second Peter chapter 1, how Peter introduces himself, how he sees himself. Because Peter was the guy that chopped off the, the servant's ear, right? He was like, a natural-born leader, he's this guy that's going to, if it needs to be done, he's going to do it. He is, he is, I would say, the charismatic one, I would think. At least that's, in my mind, that's how I see him. This is how he introduces himself in Second Peter. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul has a similar phrase at the beginning of Romans. He says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. James, 
uh, James is uh, the brother of Jesus says this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, James chapter one. And quickly before class is over, the interesting part about them calling themselves slaves is there are two Greek words for servant or slave. And uh, there's diakonos, which is a servant or assistant used often used for deacons. Sounds that sounds right, and then doulos is the other word. It's slave or bond servant, and in every one of these, them calling themselves slaves, they chose the bond servant. A slave or bond servant is someone who is owned by someone else, right? Someone who was paid for by someone else. They are not an assistant of Jesus and just doing assistant type things, or on some fairly fairly equal status. They are bought and paid for, bond servant. And it's interesting that they would choose those words, and not just one of them chose those words, several, they all chose those words to describe themselves. And so you look at where they started from as far as um, always going to have a, a, uh, an army and take out the Romans, and it's going to be amazing, and I want to be in seat number two, it'll be great, to... I, I don't, you, they're not seeking after the power anymore. They're a bond servant, owned, and doing the will of, of what Jesus told them to do. So, I have a quote here from a book called uh, Leadership or Servanthood. It says, great leadership is, or, sorry, great leadership in the cause of Christ is not the result of our striving to be a leader. Leadership is a result of practicing genuine servanthood wherever we are and whatever position we are called to by Christ. By living and ministering as servants, our loving and humble service will impact those around us as great leadership. That sounds pretty good. You know, one of the things that in, in my life, I've been a manager for AT&T for decades, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, work with a lot of wonderful people. Now, I found the culture there when I was going up through the ranks to be a little different. The leaderships were always separated. And, you know, as far as that aspect, I wanted to be there with the group. I actually had IT come out and put me a spot right in the middle of my you know, team of 20 people so that I would be accessible. Now, I still had an office when I was giving individual feedback, but the majority of the time I was out in the team, you know, helping coach and develop them and, and help them you know, grow. And it worked out very well for me. I mean, I got all kinds of accolades and things like that, but you know, my whole purpose wasn't all of that. My purpose was to you know, help those people grow in that team, uh, you know, to be better customer service reps. Uh, you know, I think that's what we have to look at here in the church is that we need to be in there and, and reach out to everybody all the time and try to, you know, put out the invitations and everything. But you can't block yourself off in just the church on Sundays. You've got to take it out there every day with you whenever you go. Yeah, it's, you know? a, it's a lifestyle, yeah. Yeah, and you, and the high, there's no shouldn't be uh, a sequestered hierarchy, unaccessible hierarchy that you can't go to. Um, 
that's that's one of the things I like about my job is I can go to my boss real easy. Uh, there's a lot of jobs you can't do that. Well, there's a lot of bosses you can't do that. The job isn't always. Yeah, the that's issue. that's ultimately what it comes down to is why is the person there? Are they there to lord it over people, or are they there to truly help what it is that we're doing? And hopefully, by what we're looking at in this class and going through some of those uh, realizations that various leaders throughout the Bible have gone through, because you can see where they, the people they were before and the people they were after are not the same. And everybody has to go through a transition of that kind, I think, because our natural tendencies are, I'll say this, my natural tendencies are not, almost always they're wrong. So I need to fight natural tendencies and do what I'm supposed to do versus, versus what I want to do, what my knee-jerk reaction would be. So um, I'm hoping that going through various uh, transitions that these leaders do in the Bible, that we can see that within ourselves, hopefully, and either gain encouragement or even some insight into maybe continuing that further.